It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha on deck. Nick, you are the George Masvidal to my Kumaro Usman. You are this plucky underdog that keeps talking trash despite the fact that you're a couple Ugh, steps geez. behind at all times. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that my I think that my trash talking's playful, a bit more like a Ben Askren. Like I I mean Masvidal is a, is a trumpist. He says some ridiculous things. He's got a great look. He's got a great shtick and gimmick, but frankly, he's almost as irritating at this point as Colby Covington. Um, yeah. of course he's a much more he's a much more exciting fighter. And he went from he went from you know journeyman to marketable um, to some In extent no by by taking some cards out of the Diaz playbook, and uh, it should be interesting. But I don't know that I I don't know. I think we're both. I think that bo- I think both of us at the end of the day, you know, when we're uh, not that our listeners necessarily care that much about Nick and Stan, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're playing a video game where you can. Uh, you can be the renegade or the bastard, or you can be the paragon. I think that we're both pretty much paragons. I think we we both seem to get behind the fighters who uh, who put in the work, who epitomize humility, uh, who take the the notion of martial artists seriously, yeah. and in doing such, become showmen by virtue of their performance and excellence. So that's the that's the Usman, that's the Khabib Nurmagomedovs, that's the George <laughs> Saint Pierre. That's uh, the, those kinds of fighters. It doesn't mean that we, we can't get behind some guys that are and women uh, who are a little crazier. But there, there's a reason why we, you know, I root for the GSPs and the Roxies and the Frankies. Yeah, it's they're they're they're, they're humble. They're uh, you know they they put it they put it all out there. And I, I also it's old though the, the the baby faces and the heel dynamic. It sells fights in boxing. Some people are good at the trash talk, but some people are also just not good people. And cage fighting yeah, often, true. cage fighting does it just like boxing. Like cage fighting attracts some people who have gone through some shit and some trauma in their youth, have not necessarily developed the best social skills or the best value system, and it is it is what it is. Uh, as long as they're not really behaving in a in a terrible way, see Jeremy Stevens this past weekend. Um, <laughs> it's you know we can give people passes, but I I do think that. Uh, we would both we're actually both more Usman than than Masvidal. I would like to think. I just am more playful than you are. You're so you're so like uber serious. You're kind of boring. Nick, I, I was just I was just trying to talk some trash, and you just like eloquently put it in such terms that it's really really difficult to disagree. Uh, but we are going to get into last week's card. We're gonna talk about what happened at uh, UFC Fight Night: Whitaker versus Gastelum, and of course this weekend we have a big one. UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2, headlined by those two guys fighting for the welterweight strap. I think like all three title fights on this one, Nick, are fascinating for multiple reasons. They're worth watching for multiple reasons. Usman coming off of, you know, he's been getting rocked several times in the last few fights, right? And Masvidal has insane power and a full training camp this time. I think that adds something to this matchup, right? Obviously, Usman is the favorite. I get that. But I do think Masvidal has a much higher chance than at any other point in Usman's career. Then we have Zhang versus Nama Yunus, where both of them have had extremely close fights with Joanna Jacek. Zhang's fight was exhilarating nonstop action. Rose was a little more crafty against Jacek, and I'm 
fascinated as to how that matchup will play out. And then, of course, we have Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade on paper, right? Shevchenko is an extremely adept counter-striker, which is Jessica Andrade's, uh, that's her vice. That's what gets her, right? That's what cost her against uh, the two uh, women fighting for the for the strawweight title, Weili Zhang and Rosa Mayunas, was the fact that they were excellent counter-strikers. Shevchenko is a brilliant counter-striker, but Shevchenko looked S- Same thing, weak. by the way, just to jump in. Same thing yep. with Joanna Giancic against Andrade when they, when they threw down. That's right. But here's the thing. Valentina Shevchenko has shown a weakness off of her back. She can be taken down. We saw that in her last fight against Jennifer Maya in that second round. She can be taken down by a strong, powerful woman, right? And how risk-averse she was against Liz Carmouche, who's a strong, powerful woman who can get takedowns. Like, you can tell that she's afraid of that, right? She was also taken down earlier in her career by Juliana Pena, and she had to win off of her back with an armbar. And I don't know how likely that is against Jessica Andrade. So both of these women, Jessica Andrade obviously being just this bullish forward wrestler who's going to get top position and land ground and pound, this makes it a fascinating three-fight uh, t- top of the billing for me. And I would say I'm probably most excited about the Wei Li Zhang versus Rose Namajunas matchup of those three, Nick. What are your feels? Yeah, me too. I mean, they're they're all interesting. I think that I think it's a case where what the odds makers say is going to happen is in fact most likely going to happen. But they are interesting stories. The reason why I'm, I probably agree with you is that we still haven't seen that much of Wei Li Zhang. We've seen um, for a champion as exciting, as athletic, as explosive, and as well rounded as she is. Um, compared to other UFC fighters, we have we haven't seen as many rounds from her, so I don't think that we've seen every wrinkle in her game. And she's going in against Rose, who f- who fights so seldom, about once a year, that you know we're never sure like what what she's Im- improved upon, and and what her game plan is going to be. So I I think that fight has um, has the most question marks uh, around it. Although um, I think. All, th- all three of them are, are very exciting and worthy of headlining a pay-per-view on their own. The rest of the card... I, I, I am there with you. I think the rest of the card could definitely use some work. There's a bunch of guys that have looked very, very human lately. A bunch of guys that are coming off of losses or you know losing streaks, then maybe followed by a win in the case of Anthony Smith and Chris Weidman. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of question marks. There's a few kind of possible future prospects on here, possible being the key word there. Uh, really, again, a lot of question marks on this card, I would say, but these top three fights I think are worth the billing. And I really hope that the main event ends up being way more entertaining than it was the first time because it was an absolute snoozer the first time. So that's going to be kind of my wish. And I think you and I agree that the co-main event, Weili Zhang versus Rose Namajunas, is probably the most intriguing fight given all of the question marks surrounding it. Let's quickly get into last week's card, Nick. Robert Whitaker came out and just looked decisively better than Kelvin Gastelum in every regard. The reason that I picked Robert Whitaker with some confidence, the reason that I picked him earlier than I think you would have, you were surprised with how early I picked him, is because I thought the style matchup really favored him. Whitaker is an excellent counterfighter with brilliant timing, and Kelvin Gastelum can't help but be aggressive, which gives Whitaker the opportunity to counter. And Gastelum's speed should be mitigated by Whitaker's timing. And what we saw, honestly, is that Gastelum has probably slowed down where Whitaker was 
at least even in speed, maybe a little faster. And in addition to that, he had his timing advantage, and it just made for a very one-sided, interesting fight, right? Because Gastelum never really gave in. He never stopped trying, it seemed like. And it, it just seemed like it was all written off in the middle of that fifth round when Robert Whitaker was able to get his back and, and get dominant position on Gastelum, and Gastelum couldn't really get his way out of there. It seemed like Whitaker was the better wrestler against the former wrestler. He was the better striker uh, with his brilliant counters, and he was the better Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu artist. He just in my opinion, outclassed him in a semi-fun-to-watch fight. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I thought Gastelum, as I said last week, had a puncher's chance, and he does have that great hand speed, and I thought I thought he would land more. I think he may have he may have slowed down a little, but either either he was telegraphing or he wasn't doing anything to set him up. All of those crackerjack left hands that that Gastelum's famous for, these dropped so many fighters with. Um, Whitaker got his glove up for all of them. Um, it was something I called out to a pal I was, you know, texting with while while the fight was going on, and then Bisping mentioned it. I just think Ga- Gastelum isn't crafty enough. He's, um, you know, he's powerful. He's technical. His uh, his uh, gas tank was fine. But his, you know, his defensive wrestling wasn't where it needs to be, and he 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 just, yeah, I use baseball metaphors sometimes on this podcast, but the you know the the best pitcher pitchers mix their stuff up. He's always had a bit of a meat and potatoes offense, and um, he just he needs he needs more feints. He needs to keep people guessing. He he needs people worried about a you know a power double or going for a single. Um, and he, he needs to get some people worried about something else so that that left hand can get some space. But Whitaker, Whitaker knew everything that was coming before Gastelum threw it. Uh, subsequently he didn't land, uh, too much cleanly. Um, you know, a little, a little bit here and there, but when he would, then he would take two or three shots. So yeah, his, his vaunted, uh, his vaunted pop and precision in his shots, uh, just, he wasn't able to deliver. He's a he's an exciting fighter and a good I think I think a good guy. Um, he had that one weird thing where he was walking around with that belt, but that was uh, <laughs> you know aside aside from that, he was super classy in defeat. I just he might just be one of these one of these fighters who is you know is a man without a weight class um, is someone who should be you know fighting somewhere between if if we had div- uh, divisions like boxing and I'm not suggesting that we do um, there would be many more weight classes and. Uh, He's. I know Whitaker's was also is also a former welterweight, but the uh, Whitaker's offensive wrestling, keeping you know Gasolum on his back and giving him something else to worry about, was not at all what I suspected would happen. So, you know, Whitaker had his way. He's in there against Adesanya. He had a much less, com- you know, he'll be in there against Adesanya. He had a much less competitive fight against the, the champion than Gasolum did, but he's earned it. He he's he's just gone through, uh, you know, three top, you know, top. You, I don't know if you can call Gaslam top five, but three three guys have been on the either in or on the periphery of the top five uh, for quite some time. So let's uh, let's do it. I don't really expect a different result. I think Adesanya's got a really tough style for Whitaker, uh, but it's uh, he's he's certainly earned the shot. I would actually say that Whitaker's shown in his fights, uh, at least after that Till fight, where. Once again, just like with Adesanya, he ran into a big counter from Till. I think it was in maybe that second round where Till landed that counter elbow. And again, Till is a counter striker, right? And that's what uh, what 
Robert Whitaker has trouble with against both Adesanya and Till, although, again, the Till fight largely was Gashlam's, in my opinion. And it's the aggressive fighters like Jared Cannonier and Callum Gashlam that are basically just served right up to a guy like Whitaker. Um, again, Riol Romero is another counterfighter, right, that, had, uh, that, that, that Whitaker had some trouble with, even though he won uh, over the course of those 10 rounds. So here's the thing. I think that he's shown in his last couple of fights that he's going to wait for the counter. But it's much easier to show that unless uh, against very aggressive fighters. Adesanya won't be very aggressive, especially following his last loss. I do think Whitaker has a much higher chance than this one because Whitaker's learned his lesson. I think he knows the value of not pushing forward into a great counter-striker's uh, hands. And I think that he realizes that the the things that are necessary to beat Israel Adesanya, since we just saw Jan Blachowicz pulled it off, pull it yes, off against Israel. Yeah. Blahovich, um, yes. That's right, Blahovich. I, I know that it's not that simple. I know that uh, Whitaker is a smaller man. Whitaker is coming down for 170, whereas Jan Blahovich could never make even 185, let alone 170. So I realize it's not all the same, but uh, like Whitaker overall throughout his career, he's never been a journeyman, right? He's always been like a, either a serious prospect into a contender, into a champion. And now he is number one contender, has kept that spot throughout. So look, Whitaker has one loss at middleweight. There's very little reason to doubt him. I think it'll be a more competitive fight because I think he'll be a lot more careful. But again, you got to wonder where's Israel's confidence. I'm, I'm going to be intrigued by that rematch. I'm looking forward to it very much. And yeah, I, I think the fact that, you know, coming off of uh, the weekend before it was Marvin Vittori, he came off of that win over Kevin Holland. Had he beaten somebody higher ranked, somebody like Darren Till, maybe he had a better argument, especially if it was decisive. But given how boring that fight was, given how exciting this matchup was, uh, I, I think it's pretty clear cut that Whitaker is going to get the title shot if he wants it. Dana White agrees, and I'm sure Adesanya doesn't mind that either. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's it's also worth noting that, that Whitaker choosing, while he was doing so well on the feet, like choosing to play, use his offensive wrestling after seeing Blahovich's path to victory against Adesanya, you know he could be he could be prepping up and giving Israel something else to worry about, um, getting his head a little bit. So I like that. I like the I like the idea of um, a wrestle heavy Whitaker going into that rematch. I'm there with you, bud. And then the rest of the card, like I don't know if there's a whole lot for us to go very deep into. We can Ooh. quickly kind of breeze by this. Arlovsky Four split wanna... decisions. Four split decisions. Yeah, no joke, man. Arlovsky won a kind of a, a decent decision over Chase Sherman. It looked like Sherman looked pretty good early on, and then Arlovsky took over. Just for the record, Sherman is coming off of having popped for some kind of a performance-enhancing drug, and he looks significantly less muscular with less abs and more body fat in this matchup than he did his last one. So that kind of shows you he probably was on something. And again, he looked spectacular against Ike Willenbuelva, who is not a UFC-level fighter. Andrei Arlovsky can get rid of prospects like this all day, and he's been doing it for years now. So you and I both expected this to work out the way that it did. Uh, any thoughts on that one? Uh, not really. It went, it went the way that we thought it would. I mean, I believe Arlovsky was the underdog, but I, I, I think in his fights... We still, you know, he's not going to be he's not going to be a world beater, but he's going to be competitive against almost everyone. The only people yeah. who he won't be competitive are are, the, are young, young, super fast and powerful. Well, I would say young. I agree, young, fast and experienced. Like he he won't lose to a guy that's young and fast who will lose his gas tank over the course of a fight. Right? He's he's going to lose to a guy that uh, can match him in speed. Which in this case, Sherman arguably matched him in speed, but Sherman uh, was not going to get stronger as the fight went on, uh, and he wasn't going to be as crafty and technical as Arlovsky. And Arlovsky took advantage. And then we have Jacob Malkoon, who I talked last week. I mean, you were very confident in Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Yeah, I screwed this. I screwed this one up. 
and and I don't blame you because we like he keeps getting so much credit despite his losing streak. It's now a three fight losing streak, right? Because of what happened, you know, years ago uh, in his career, where he was able to run over some mediocre competition. And I talked about how Jacob Malcoon does not a lot of tape out there on him. We know that he trains with Whitaker, but I I did get like I have seen interviews where he talks about his grappling being his strength. So I saw a shot here that he could take down Al Hassan like he got taken down uh, in the fight against uh, I think Munir Laziz prior to his last knockout loss. And uh, Jacob was able to do that, man. Just completely out wrestled him. He and uh, he and Whitaker clearly put some time in, clearly put some wrestling rounds in, and he was able to look really good against Al Hassan. And you know what? At five and one, he had, probably it's not fair to have him come in and beat Phil Hawes, who he wasn't able to out wrestle Phil Hawes, even if that fight went deep. And Phil Hawes is explosive early, but I do think he had a decent shot of winning the fight had it gone into the second round. Just judging by what we saw since then, so uh, really good performance by him. I hope they don't throw him into the fire. I hope that they give him the opportunity to prove himself and uh, really good showing on his end. Yeah. And uh, Abdul Razak Hassan, it's one of those things where his legal troubles may have cost him a window. You know, he, he came back in that, in that first round against, um, uh, Oh geez, the guy, uh, Lezez, Munir Lezez. He came in like a bat, like a bat out of hell, his first fight in two years. And he wasn't able to put him away. And, over you know over the last ten months in three fights he's since that first round against Lazez he hasn't really won a second of any fight so I I don't know where where it says that he's obviously a sprint fighter and he's got uh, a lot of pop but um, I yeah I don't I don't know what the future is for this guy I think maybe he get maybe he gets one more shot to get it right but he looked like like psychologically he was in some for a guy nicknamed Judo Thunder he looked like he was in some Ty, some Tyron Woodley psychological territory. You are not kidding. Yeah, he's he's a fraction of his former self. And to be honest, if this happens to every domestic abuser in MMA, I'm going to be very, very comfortable with that. Tracy Cortez out hustled. Well, Justin I don't. Keish. Well, hang on, hang uh-huh. on, hang on. He yeah, yeah. He his his case was. I actually, if I recall the details, he was a, he was sort of acquitted of everything. It was an accusation around a, a date that had gone wrong or something. But I thought I didn't know that. There's not necessarily smoke and fire everywhere like i just want to i i'd have to go into that case before Fair i was a, like but i probably would put him in the same category as a um josh grisby or something i just don't know enough That's yeah all. F- f- fair enough i hear that um and then uh, and then we had tracy cortez who basically outgrinded justin quiche who looked really good on the feet was able to land on her own tracy cortez cutting down to 125 for the first time in a little while uh she was able to ground her out i thought she landed more damage i thought the decision was just but it was a very close one and it really could have gone either way yeah it was and i mean the question the question becomes at, at flyweight um you know who next who next for tracy cortez uh, that is a good question. Would you put her against a top 15 fighter at this point? She is, I think, 3-0 and in the UFC over largely like unnamed fighters. And this was the kind of gatekeeper that I think should enter you into that top 15 territory. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I think somebody like Andrea Lee could be a good fight, but she's not coming off of a win. I think uh, it's a great matchup, actually. I don't think she has to come off of a win, given her tenure at kind of the top 10 of that division. I, I think that's yeah, perfect. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, the other, the other thing to do... and. I know you don't like prospect prospect at this stage, but I feel like in women's flyweight, there's not enough fighters and that it's like any, anything goes. Cause no matter, Oh, like one, one or two victories and you're in the top 15. Um, uh, Macy Barber and Miranda Maverick are throwing down soon. I wouldn't mind seeing Tracy Cortez against, uh, against the winner of that. 
I think Miranda Maverick and Tracy Cortez will be a fascinating matchup. And I assume Maverick is going to be the favorite over Barber, given Barber's lack of recent success. Yeah, I like either of those options. I think Andrea Lee is a great style matchup. It would be a fun fight to watch. And Andrea Lee could give her the same sort of trouble that Kish did, but at a higher level. And then Miranda Maverick, who's got not the greatest takedown defense, but is really good from top position, really good striking. That would be fascinating. That would be total prospect versus prospect. Although I think I would prefer these two girls to match up as they're more in that top 10 territory. I think it would be yeah. a fun fight to watch and I wouldn't complain much. And I just I just feel like a division like this, we want to move these super prospects up uh, slowly and we want to avoid them from having to fight each other because we still have girls like uh, Caitlin Shukagian and Cynthia Calvillo and Joanne Calderwood at the top of this division. And... I mean, let's face it, the Roxanne Manafari is number nine. Like these are these are gatekeeper level fighters for the most part. Although, to be fair, Caitlin Shukagan, I'm not giving her enough credit. Uh Calderwood and Matafari, Jessica I, these are in the top ten, right? We want to get these girls out of there. They don't really belong in there. This division needs to figure itself out. And I think part of how we do that is by letting girls like Talia Santos, Miranda Maverick, uh, and of course Tracy Cortez move their way up. Uh, and and I think they should avoid each other for the short term. So in this case, this reminds me a little bit of uh, fly, of uh, lightweight at men's where we we want to get some of those girls at the top of the division with a bunch of losses out of there. They don't belong in the top 10. So let's let the prospects yeah. move their way so, up. And it seems like Andrea Lee actually is going in against Antonina Shevchenko uh, in May. So Cortez against the winner of that fight works too. That might be a better, that might be a better matchup for her. I think that's a great matchup, and I'm into it. Uh, and then we have a super close split decision once again between Luis Pena and Alex Munoz. You and I both picked Munoz. I think the majority of uh, pundits and MMA fans think that Munoz deserved the decision, but it was a close fight. There's an argument to be made for Pena, and uh, and look, look it's, it, it is what it is. When you have a close fight, you take that risk, but Alex Munoz just seven fights into his career, just a, his second UFC fight now. 0-2, it's unfortunate, but I would say his UFC record doesn't represent how good he actually is, and he does have some potential in my opinion being the team alpha male uh wrestling coach yeah uh, i'm with you on all that um the fight now i think worth getting into oof. a little bit is that romanov versus espino matchup give me your thoughts buddy yeah Ugh. it's a tricky <laughs> one like i thought i thought espino like espino did what exact like was perfect he was a perfect opponent for romanov it's why we were most probably most excited about this fight on the card um, because he didn't go away in the first round, he he got a great takedown. He got top position. He, you know, he um, he was able to get up when Romanov took him down. He had more precise uh, hands. You know, it, it, it was very telling at the end of the first round. Romanov went for a ridiculous like uh, spinning back fist, and Espino was right there with a with a quick precise uh, right ha- right hand at the right hook, I think, and. Uh, you know, Romanov was in a fight, and coming out of that first round, it looked it looked like Espino wasn't wasn't going to go anywhere. And uh, you know, it was we and I had discussed. Well, whoever gets on top on top first is going to win, and it wasn't the case. They both were, they both got on top, and they and it was very very interesting. The second round comes comes up, and Romanov has a Romanov like round, but Espino eats it all. He eats it all, and he gets up, and he does not go in away. So you have it you have it one one. But Romanov looks really tired, much more tired than Espino. They both look tired, but Romanov looks like fuck. Third round. What's <laughs> what is this third round? And and Espino's coming out El Guapo, and dominates or controls at least got any points that would were to be awarded in the first minute of that third round go to Juan Espino, and then we get a groin foul, which 
in the in this like listen, nobody knows how these things feel. I don't think Alexander Romanov was playing, but it looked like it looked like your average garden variety groin knee, like the kind that we see three of on any card. It didn't seem all that powerful, yeah. It, but it, I mean, but again, it's coming from a guy that you know is probably you know walks into the cage. I don't know if Juan Spino cuts, but he's massive. They're, these are massive guys in testicles. Spino doesn't cut. He's about two fifty, but he's a, you're right. He's a large man. We spoke about last time how nobody can get out from under these large, guys. Large, large man, needed the testicles, and Romanov said he couldn't move his leg. He couldn't straighten his leg out. So who knows yeah. what the hell. What the hell happened? Whereas, I mean, I think it's it's possible his his testicle got lodged up in his you know up out in some cavity, um, but I'm not a I'm not a ball doctor yet. I'm not, <laughs> oh, you're working on that, are you? I haven't, yeah, I've been in the University of Phoenix online nut doctor course. But that is very funny. I feel like Romanov getting the split decision was was ridiculous, and that ju- judges a point wasn't taken away. And I got to believe that two of the judges decided to, because of the foul, rule that first minute for Romanov, which makes no sense to me. There, I don't see. I don't think there's much of an argument to give Romanov the first round. Um, uh, I mean, well, I, 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 th- I think the argument could certainly be made. I think the first round could have gone either way, didn't you? You thought I it was, thought pretty it was decisive pre- for I, I thought it was. I, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't dominant, but I thought it was clear. Let me see. As far as no, two stats, of the right? two, two no, two of the judges gave the first. They all gave okay. All the judges gave the third round to Espino, and two of them gave the first round to Romanov. I gave right. the I gave the first round to Espino. Well, I'll put it to you this way: looking at the stats for the first round, right? Uh, Romanov landed five strikes. Espino landed four, pretty much even, right? Uh, total strikes though, Espino landed twenty. Romanov ended fourteen, and I and I assume that's Espino punching off of his back or something. And then takedowns, Espino got two. Romanov got one. Um, Alexander Romanov, however, had basically twice as much top position time, and I think that's really what sealed it for him. I thought, I thought that Romanov might have taken that first round, even though it was extremely close. I thought he clearly took that second round with uh, a, a yeah. while in top position, landed plenty of strikes. He did his Kong Kong ground and pound thing, uh, King Kong ground and pound, excuse me. And yeah, that third round, it's not even fair to score that third round, in my opinion. Like, honest to God, it's not. And so... If we're talking about just like forty-five well, seconds, we have to. It's not about what's fair. It's that the rule was that they had to score it. I mean, I, I I hear you, and 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 that's fine, I guess. If, if we're going to give Espino credit for control against the cage, forty-two seconds of it, including when he landed that low blow, and Espino did land two strikes. Romanov didn't land any. Espino did, however, have two takedowns in that third round. I just feel like I just feel like, given the decisiveness of Romanov's second round and uh, momentum, granted, was going toward Espino. I don't disagree with you, and I think Romanov kind of took that way out um, when the knee first landed. I thought. Well, this is just ridiculous. It's just he just wants a break. But then when they played it on the replay, and you see the effect that it had, like you know how a, a knockout shot or a really hard, clean punch will make an opponent's head snap back. Well, it looked to me like Romanov's junk kind of snapped up when that knee came up, even though it didn't look powerful at all. And so I yeah. almost kind of, I almost kind of bought it. Like I know what's happened to me in the oh, past. I don't is, think I don't think he was playing. I don't think. Well, he was I, playing I, th- at I think all. he may have been exaggerating it because I could. I understand Russian, and I heard him speaking to his corner and the and and asking his cornerman to translate to the referee basically, what happens if I can't continue? What happens if I don't continue? Yes, he kept I, asking yeah. that question. 
you know, which is, which is, you know, like it's understandable for any fighter to want to know what's going on, especially let's say he's hurt so badly that it can't continue. It's a fair question to ask, right? He wants to know whether or not he's going to get a loser loss or DQ here. It's a fair and question, but you credit, should also know that going into the cage, what the, I mean, you should have an understanding. I, I don't know. Did, did you know that before they announced it? Like before, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Ratner said it on the mic. No, that, but I would if I was getting to the cage with Juan Espino. Come on. Nobody truly knew, like, especially given all the controversy with recent disqualifications, no contests, uh, fights that, like, like, why the fuck didn't didn't the uh, Sterling fight go to decisions? Because the referee decided that that strike was intentional. So it's this weird, tricky situation. You gen- genuinely do not know what mood the referee is going to be in and what he's going to call, right? So I don't think it's unreasonable him, for him to wonder that, uh, especially given that he's coming off of the Russian scene, not you to unified rules of Vegas or the, I think, modified unified rules. So I don't blame him, I guess, for asking that question if he was really hurt, but I question how badly hurt he was. In, in the past, what's hurt worse for me than an actual hit, uh, a hit to my cup is when my cup was shifted over and my, my, my junk, for lack of a better term, was pinched. That was pretty bad for me, but I've never had like the cup shift over and pinch my quadricep, or, or I, I guess that would be my hamstring to the point where I can't bend, I can't extend my leg. That, that it's it's a little bit suspect. I think a rematch is very fair, and if I was Romanov, I would probably consider trying to avoid it. I will say one thing: Romanov has not handled it as badly as Aljamain Sterling did. This weird situation in which he gets a win that he probably only sem- like probably doesn't truly deserve, uh, and and I give him credit for that. Like he looked pissed off as the arms were raised, and he didn't believe he deserved it. Whereas Espino had this look on his face, like, "Yeah, you and I both know what happened here, dude. Like, get the fuck out of here." Um, I would love to see a rematch. I think it's fascinating between these two serious prospects, but it's fascinating to see Espino yeah, at age love, forty, I'd, only I'd at love heavyweight. To see can- him again too. Yeah, only a heavyweight um, though can you do this at age forty, where you can look this good, uh, have this good of conditioning, this good of skill. It's it's like kind of unbelievable with guys like Arlovsky still picking up wins. It, it's it's, yeah, a, it's for, a rare he's space. He's for real. I'd love to. Yes, I'd, love really to ten, I'd love to see these guys do it again. Um, yeah, but I, I agree. Let's uh, quickly breeze through. Uh, Jessica Penier earned a split decision over Lupita Godinez. I thought she controlled enough of it. I thought that was fairly fair. It was weird that she was jumping guard and able to get positions from there. Gerald Mirchard got a first-round submission. You and I were wrong to pick Bartos here. Gerald Mirchard's uh, submission game was good enough to submit him almost immediately. And Bartos, you know, him being just purely a grinder. Uh, I keep making the mistake of occasionally choosing the... Uh, the, the fighter with the better wrestling over the fighter with the better grappling and stand-up. And I, I've made good calls on this where I picked uh, Damian Maia to pick Ben Askren because Damian Maia was a better striker and grappler, but Askren was a better wrestler. And I've made a mistake of going the other way on this. I, I'm, I'm going to watch out for that. Austin Hubbard did really well against Dakota Bush. He just kind of took over after a close first round. And Tony Gravely looked great against Anthony Burchank, who shouldn't be in the UFC. Mm. To that note, though, Burchak, show, Burchak showed up. He took his lickens. He tried. He fought for a finish. He landed his own shots. He had a tight guillotine that I thought grave. I was. I almost thought Burchak might might pull this off for a second. But yeah, he probably doesn't belong there. But I give the guy. I give the guy a lot of credit because he had no quit in him. No, I, I agree with you there. I mean, he got he got knocked down three times. He never he never stopped trying to win that fight. Yeah, I don't think it's a lack of mental game with Burchank. I think it's just a lack of speed, a lack of athleticism and durability. Man, it seemed like every shot that was well, he's not that strong. Clean. He's just not. He's just not yeah. that strong. And again, um, it just seemed like every shot was dropping him. Like every single clean shot that was. And this is by a wrestler. They were right? pretty. Granted, they were pretty cr- clean fucking shots too, though. They, I mean, they, they were, really were. Yeah, they they, they were. Um, and I'm not trying to take that away from him. It's just it's he's just got like, no head movement. Penny, no. I don't know what Penny will do with. I mean, Godinez should have won that fight, but she was just you a think little so, too huh? experienced. 
Well, okay. I mean, well, you mean that she had the skill to. She had I, she had the skill to, and she I mean she freaking power bombed her. If she'd even slammed her properly, she could have instead of throwing her into the instead of throwing her into mid air, and if she had slammed her down, she probably would have gotten a knockout or been able to follow up. But but Penny's still you know Penny's still athletic. Uh, she's not gonna hurt you know. I don't. I think Godinez has a higher ceiling. She's clearly very strong. Um, Penny just out veteraned her, uh, and we know, and now we know at least where Penny is. Like we didn't, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. I, I spoke about how Penny has probably like she's been in the gym from everything I could see. She was with Angela Hill and the crew there at I think Alliance MMA, getting work in this entire four year layoff. So there's reason to believe that she had improved, and she did show some improvement. Right? She also lost to some of the best in the world. That's why I wasn't confident enough to pick her opponent pretty early on. I was going to pick her eventually, but it just seemed risky to me given that Penny is a crafty veteran, and even though she's 38 years old and could have come back like Matt Wyman. I had a suspicion that she was going to at least look okay given that her bad losses were to the very, very elite at 115 pounds. By the way, moved up to 125 for this one. Nikolai, let's take a break. We're going to come back and break down UFC 261, uh, a stacked fight card overall with, uh, I think mainly we can focus on those three title fights at the top of the billing, Nick. Let's do it. Back on the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast, and we're going to break down to UFC 261. We spoke a little bit about what is kind of going on with these top fights. Uh, Nikolai, it, it hasn't been the greatest season for you. I am now at 40.5 points after scoring four points in the last event. You scored two points in the last event, which places you at 32 points. So I am now eight and a half points ahead. Now, here's the thing. Because we're scoring it this way, you have an opportunity in two really good events and bad events for me to make up for it. So uh, I think that's what makes this uh, scoring interesting. And Nikolai, I'm looking forward to competing with you on this one. Am I wrong to say that you have the first pick this time, buddy? I don't, I don't really like you oh well that hurts my feelings a little bit but it you know what it like makes me feel good despite that is the fact that i'm doing really well in this competition that you want to have where we draft fighters that are going to win on fight cards hang on i'm doing add on craigslist for a new partner <laughs> you're just gonna replace me like that god damn it nick <laughs> yeah got one got one <laughs> that was incredibly quick all right, but uh, you have the first pick this time. I had the opportunity to pick Gravely first last time. There's several big favorites, Nikolai. You have the pick of the litter. Go for it, bud. All right, I'm going to go with uh, the flyweight champion, Valentina Shevchenko, to successfully defend against Jessica Andrade. Um, I, th- I just think this Valentina Shevchenko is someone that's closely fought Amanda Nunes twice. Amanda Nunes, who's ex- who is extremely powerful and I think can close can enclose distance better than Andrade is just she's such a bull and I I think that Shevchenko's footwork is going to uh is going to keep her safe and that she's going to be able to tag tag Andrade uh repeatedly I think the first two rounds will be difficult and it's possible Andrade gets a takedown but I just I see I see this being like the Andrade Joanna fight, except Shevchenko has got I think has more pop. Um obviously her weight class up. Um is a more danger is a more dangerous sniper. And I think that 
I think she also has more power, uh, generates more power from her hips and her kicks. And that the most likely outcome for this fight is a, 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 a spectacular takedown of an aggressive, I mean, a spectacular KO of an aggressive but game uh, Jessica Andrade. I think it's. I think it could be two rounds of like crackerjack excitement, and Shevchenko finishes her. Yeah, I'm. I'm there with you on the actual pick. Although, like I said earlier, like both of these girls have in their skill set, the other girl's weakness. Um, I would say that Jessica Andrade, to, right? Like to when, a degree. To, yeah, it's, to it's a true. Degree. It's true. There, there are degrees. Jessica Andrade's not Juliana Pena. She's not Misha Tate in her in her wrestling. I would say she's a better wrestler than Juliana Pena. I don't think Juliana, Pe- you think Juliana so? Pena is that great. Yeah. Are you, are you, like, I don't think Juliana, Juliana Pena is walking into death against Amanda Nunes. She has no business fighting her. She has no well, skill I advantage I whatsoever. I agree with that. Um, I agree and, with and that 100%. She, but she's, but her, I still think she's a pretty good wrestler. Uh, um, she's more she's, technical. She's pretty good. Uh, she, she's pretty good, I guess. I, I actually would probably give Andrade a slight edge in that, although Penny's obviously a bigger girl, right, by a good margin. Penny fights at 135. Andrade can make 115. So he, here's the thing, right? Shevchenko might be the most technical fighter in the entire sport, male or female. She's incredibly technical, specifically on the feet. Um, but she's fighting a bunch of girls, for the most part, that have no business fighting for a UFC title. She defended her belt against Caitlin Shukagian, who's on a two-fight winning streak. Liz Carmouche, who's on a two-fight winning streak at the time. Uh, defended against Jessica I, who was, on, who was three and four in her seven fights prior to that. Yep. She won the belt against Joanna Janjicic, who's one Don't forget two. Jennifer Maya. Oh, that's I'm I'm getting there. Yeah, she won her she won her belt against uh, Yanjechuk, who was one and two in her prior three. Granted, she's a good fighter, but she's also a 115 pound fighter, right? Her fourth title defense was against Jennifer Maya, who was on a whopping one fight winning streak. So, and th- and that's because, by the way, Joanne Calderwood <laughs> ended up losing her one fight winning streak, and that's why she didn't get that shot. So she hasn't been fighting high level competition. There's a reason she's looked spectacular uh, w- when against aggressive opponents. But here's the thing. Valentina is extremely risk averse. She is a lot like Kamara Usman in that if you're not uh, if if you're not giving her like if you're not going to be busy against her, if you're going to stay safe and stay stay really at a distance, she's not going to do much. She's going to stand there and throw like six strikes per round. And if you're going to run at her, you're forcing her to defend herself. She will clock you and fuck you up, man. She's ridiculous in that way. And that it really purely depends on her opponent uh, as to whether or not she can have an exciting fight. Jennifer Maya dominated the second round against her by taking top position. But then yeah. that's what spurred... Uh, that's what spurred Valentina Shevchenko for the first time in her career to actually get offensive after that. She like needed to prove a point after having a terrible round where she was stuck on her back. She couldn't get up yes. against the stronger Maya, right? So but Gen- but Jennifer Maya is also a fl- is Maya is a flyweight who off- yes. who's missed weight a bunch of times. That is Could true. easily be fighting at 135. And we can't That's forget true. the fact that Valentina Shevchenko has for 10 rounds stood across the fight from, across the the cage. From the wait, let me finish. The best pound for pound fighter in the world and gotten hit in the face. Yes, but you're you're missing something there. Both of those girls were extremely scared of one another and barely threw at each other. That's not gonna be Andrage. Andrage is gonna go for punches. She's gonna go for takedowns. Much like uh in that second it's, round. Oh, it doesn't change the fact that Nunez Nunez did hit her though. I yeah, mean, Nunez, Nunez hit her, but Nunez, Nunez, Nunez hitting shots. you Nunez hitting you when you were trying to stay away from her. 
is very different from Nunez hitting you when you're going at her. When you're or, charging in, of course. If you're not right, creating. Right. And, and, that's a, right. and that's the thing. Like, both these girls were staying on their back foot, staying very cautious and very careful. They each earned that respect, right? Um, but, but it wasn't the kind of fight she's going to get here. And if Nunez aggressively went for takedowns, I think she could have gotten them against Shevchenko. I think she could have done well from top position. If I remember correctly, I think Nunes had a really good round in their first fight. She won the first two rounds uh, years ago before either of them were champions, and then she lost the third round because she was tired, but she won, I think, that second round decisively from top position. So we've seen time and time again Shevchenko has a weakness there. So Andrade has a shot but, here, right? It doesn't Andrade doesn't usually win her fights from top position. Like um, no, 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 but she certainly goes for it, and and Andrade usually fights some pretty crafty fighters. Again, I'm picking Valentina here because I think Andrade will be aggressive enough with her strikes to give Valentino the opportunity with her speed, with her size advantage, with her power on the back foot to knock Andrade out. I think that's very likely. I think it could very well be like the Weili Zhang fight. But if Andrade can get top position for a couple of rounds, she has a decent shot of, of taking rounds. She has a decent yeah, shot of doing it, some damage. It could it could get interesting. I still think what's most likely to happen is a Leota Machida Ryan Bader one, where she runs where, into it, yeah. where where she ru- where she runs into something because Shevchenko is a sniper, and I think that she's got we, we've seen Andrade get hurt, um, and I also think that once she has someone hurt, Shevchenko can swarm and her jujitsu's good. I just I I, th- I think yeah I think uh, I think she's got a good chance of of landing the you know. I I, I, t- I totally agree with you. I I just uh, it's again, and we have to also consider Shevchenko has excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from her back, right? She can't catch arm bars. Yeah. And Andrade has been submitted a couple of times. This was years ago, not recent, but she has been submitted a couple of times with girls on their backs. So look, you have to pick the much more successful overall fighter, um, right? Andrade hasn't really improved her technique in several years, but she remains this like bullish pressure fighter with power and strength. Um, but Valentina was, was almost perfect in her technique. I will so say, I, I'm, I mean, I'm taking, Andrade, yeah. Andrade, what she was generally speaking more patient in her the second fight with Rose. Yeah, she she was. I think she realized uh, in that Zhang fight, and if she can be that patient and she can save her explosions, that's her way to win the fight. If she can save her explosions for the opportunity to go for a takedown, she can push her up against that fence, get that takedown, and stay smart and safe from top position, much like did uh, Jennifer Maya in the last bout. I think she absolutely has a shot in this matchup. I really do. But the the size disadvantage, the fact that one of them is a more overall successful UFC fighter, uh, the fact that one of them suffers against really technical opponents who are taller than her, and the other one is a technical opponent, I'm going to have to pick. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm there with you. Valentina Shevchenko would have been my first pick, but I do think yeah. it's a lot more. It's a lot more. It's a little more complex than the minus 400 odds would lead you to believe. It's, yes, it is, and it's and it's interesting. I also think that if Shevchenko, a big difference is. If Shashenko goes there and waits to counter, like a lot of a lot of weird shit can happen, and she has to wait for Andrade to make a mistake. If Shevchenko goes in there and from a, and as a kickboxer starts piecing her apart and forces her to make decisions, that's the that's the best thing Shevchenko can do is make Andrade as as uncomfortable as possible, um, just by making her by making her feel that jab by like by one two leg kick one two leg kick, yes. and uh, just. That's, you know, if Shevchenko comes in and does that, she's not going to get, you know, she's not going to get countered off of that into, you know, maybe she eats a right and gets put on her butt, but she's not going to get knocked out in a, 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 countering a one-two kick. 
Uh, I, I don't think that I, I don't it. think that Shevchenko has has high odds of getting knocked out. I totally agree with you. But I again, I, the 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 real big route for Andrade here is to get top position. We've seen that Shevchenko is weak, and when I say weak, it's it's just the weakest point in her game because she's so excellent everywhere. Uh, I just feel like if there's one area in which she can be beat, that is probably it. Uh, besides, obviously, being a, a taller, uh, heavier puncher who is going to be extremely careful in front, in front of her, like uh, Amanda Nunes. So you and I are on the same page there. It would have been yeah, my yeah. first pick. And I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm just. The last thing I'll say is, mm-hmm. I. I got to believe that getting out from under Jessica Andrade is a lot easier than getting out from under Jessica. Uh, Jessica Maya. Jennifer Maya. Just based on. Just based on their size. Uh, probably, but I can see Andrade getting takedowns easier than Jennifer Maya, who's not really known for her takedowns. But I, is, I not, well, she's not very agree. athletic or explosive. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then we have, I mean, th- this is this is interesting, right? Like my instinct is to pick one of the other three title fights here, but I see some serious risk. I, I think I'm gonna go with it, despite despite the the glaring kind of warnings in my head right now. I'm going to pick in the Kamara Usman versus. Jorge Masvidal matchup. We all know Usman is a pressure grappler and striker. Striker. His jab is becoming a power punch at this point, as we saw against Gilbert Burns. His right hand has serious power when he's willing to exchange, usually against grapplers like Covington and Burns, right? He doesn't usually want to stand up against strikers at all. He is extremely, extremely risk averse. And that's, by the way, what's to account for his 12-0 record. Um, Eight and one uh, going into his UFC debut and 12-0 in the UFC since then. Uh, Overall, his record is freaking 19 and one neck uh, 20 i'm sorry 20 and one it's unbelievable it really is extremely impressive the thing is that of his 13 wins as of now he's only got four finishes but a couple of those finishes are his last few fights so clearly he's 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 been improving on his striking under the tutelage of trevor trevor whitman up at elevation right so his conditioning uh, we can assume is going to be better than ever at this point his recovery because of that is going to be good and we saw that in his last fight against uh, gilbert burns as well Masvidal spent the majority of his career at a high level as kind of a high level gatekeeper. If you beat him, you're probably among the best in the promotion. And if he beats you, you're not quite ready for the upper echelon. After going five and two a lightweight in the UFC, he moved to welterweight. Once again, split decision seems like the only way he could be defeated at 170 uh, until, of course, Stephen Thompson basically smoked him. Came back from a year and a half layoff and looked like a different fighter. Uh, ran through Darren Till, Ben Askren, and Nate Diaz. He's always had the skill to beat just about anyone, but suddenly he was willing to apply those skills with urgency and obviously with spectacular results. After 16 years and almost 50 fights, uh, more than a dozen losses into his career, Masvidal suddenly became a freaking star, which is unbelievable, right? In their first fight, um, Masvidal tried to finish whenever possible. He avoided actually most takedowns. He was only taken down five times out of like 11 or 16 takedown attempts. He got held up against the fence and foot stomped for most of the fight. Won the first round, in my opinion, uh, fairly clearly, did way more damage, but he got tired quickly. But then he kept going full power every time he was standing, every opportunity he got. Usman's body shots were solid when he did throw them occasionally. He was overall risk-averse, as he usually is. His foot stomps only scored like more time in the clinch, right? They did no damage. And surviving at a distance until the next clinch or takedown attempt was kind of his prerog- like prerogative. Um, he won, but took way more damage in that matchup. In fact, his nose was broken. He claims it was before the fight. Masvidal says it was in the fight. I don't know that I have much reason to, to believe otherwise. Masvidal landed some big bombs on him. I counted five clear headbutts from Usman. And the announcers, I think, only caught two or three of them. So, like, he cheated, but I don't think he needed to cheat. So you think? So you think Usman's? You think Usman's dirty? You don't think those were just things that happened in the in the mix of the fight? I think five plus headbutts. 
I don't think those are just things that happen. No, I think if you're putting your forehead against your opponent's jaw, every single one of those headbutts, like there's there's clearly some targeting there. So no, I, I don't think it was by accident. But here's the thing: Do I think he's just a nasty, dirty fighter? It's it's like a wrestling mindset, right? You do every little thing you can to get the mental edge to get your opponent to be frustrated. Uh, Masvidal took that first fight on only six days' notice. This time he had six weeks to prepare. That's a huge difference maker, considering he never gave up and never stopped trying. Yeah, and that's what he said at the end of the fight. At the end of the fight, right. he goes, "This yeah. is on six." He goes, "This is on six days." And Usman, Usman said, "Let's run it back right there in the cage." He said, "You know, he he acknowledged he acknowledged that." I don't know. I think this is a fantastic time to fight Usman for Masvidal. Usman's been rocked against Colby Covington, who has very, very little power in his hands, right? Um, just a few months ago, he was badly hurt against Gilbert Burns, who has speed and power in his right hand. Here, he's fighting someone who hits at least as hard as Burns, who is taller with a longer reach than Burns, if only by little. Although Masvidal has been buzzed on the feet, he recovers immediately and is mentally strong enough to keep on trucking. Unlike Gilbert, uh, he's not likely to have that little brother mentality when it comes to Usman. This time, Masvidal will have plenty of conditioning, having had six weeks to prepare rather than six days for a five-round fight, right? What I'm saying is that Masvidal has a much higher chance than the 4-1 to odds suggest, and there's some value on him. But given Usman's success in the UFC so far, given his size and strength advantage, given his ability to hug Masvidal for minutes at a time without the referees interrupting, I'm picking the champion to retain his title by decision. A knockout for both guys is possible, though, because both guys have the power to do it, and both guys can be chin-checked. Usman's jab and body shots are nasty at a distance, but I don't really believe that he's willing to have a kickboxing battle with Masvidal because of his increasingly fragile chin, right? I think that would be foolish. I also don't buy this storyline about uh, Usman wanting to really put the nail in the coffin. I don't, he's not a risk taker. He's just not a risk taker at all, right? And if he's not going to take risks against him on six days notice where Usman had a full camp, I don't think he's going to take risks in this one. He never has when he doesn't need to. I think Masvidal will be even more dangerous since he'll have the cardio to do what he did in the first round of their fight for a few rounds. Uh, so throwaway prop bet on Masvidal by knockout or TKO at plus 450 is worth an investment in my opinion. But I have to pick Usman to repeat his effort and win another another snoozer. I hope this fight is exciting since both fighters are highly skilled and have the ability to deliver a barn burner. But I can't bet on Usman to take risks since his almost unblemished record is almost entirely based on the fact that he avoids risks whenever possible. Plus, Masvidal, yeah. let's face it, he's a journeyman, right? Whether anyone likes it or not. Wins over Darren Till, Ben Askren, and Nate Diaz are not even worthy of a title shot, if you're going to ask me. But he's a name, and Usman wants a relatively easy payday. So here we are. Usman, by unanimous decision. Yeah, I think... Listen, it could get really interesting really quickly. But um, with the exception of those Till and Askren fights, Masvidal's not a walk-away KO guy. And I don't think Us I don't think Usman's chinny. I think he's gotten, I think some, some you know, Covington, that was just a, that was a brawl and there was incredible volume and some of them caught, you know, caught him off guard. True, but just real quick, Covington always throws incredible volume and almost never rocks anyone. And not only was he rocked in that fight, but then he was locked by, rocked by Burns, who... It has some power, but I don't know. The yeah, the burn. I thought the burn. I just I don't. I don't know that I think he's. Uh, I don't. Let's put it this way. I don't think he's any chinny. I don't think his chin's any weaker than like GSP's chin. Um, maybe his well, defense. Well, I'll put it to you this way: his chin is probably where Cain Velasquez's was before everything started to go downhill. Velasquez started to increasingly get sure. buzzed before everything went downhill. Same thing with Vanderlei Silva. I just feel like we're getting to that point with Usman. But continue, please. It's po yeah, it's possible. Um, 
the what in putting a nail in the coffin i could see i think usman by decision is most likely i think yes i think the odds are crazy i think it would be much more like plus 250 um if usman's going to put a nail in the coffin it's not going to be on the feet it's going to be a head and arm choke and i don't think that the way that usman strikes is going to leave himself open to the kind of counters that that slept darren hill I, I think he's I think he's just too smart, too defensively tight, and he's gonna be very focused. I think he's I think he's going to plant Jorge Masvidal and uh, hurt him as badly as he can on the ground. I think the fight that this may end up reminding us the most of is GSP Carlos Condit. I love your analogies, Nick. They're usually spot on. Uh, tell me more. So you think like basically every time they're standing up, I that... think there'll be some I think there will be some adversity on the feet for Usman mm-hmm. and he may get tagged and or rocked but that his situational awareness and positional awareness and ability to uh, maintain control and in c- control positions will um, prevent him from being exposed in such a way that Masvidal can finish him. It's interesting that you mentioned Carlos Condit in particular because I have this theory, this strong theory, that if by today's rules, right, where MMA judges don't necessarily only factor in takedowns. In other words, if if one guy is kind of roughing up the other guy on the feet but not dominating him, and then and then that guy gets taken down for a minute, even though there's no damage on the ground, usually the guy that got taken down will lose the round, right? I think Carlos Condit would have won several fights that he lost possibly maybe on the off chance including that one although i'm not i'm not so sure i just know that not he landed that, not so that much, one no not that one um i know that he landed so much damage uh that and by the way his fight over johnny Hendricks. rewatch that fight if you ever get the chance i think by today's rules you will score it for the guy that lands what feels like hundreds of strikes versus the guy that just holds on so by today's rules i, I think carlos kind of may have a good shot of getting some of those wins and by today's rules I think there's a small itty bitty chance that Masvidal does enough damage in three of those four rounds where he might get credit enough. And again, we have to consider Masvidal stopped the majority of those takedowns, even though he got taken down five times on six days' notice. So again, that six days' notice really was a factor. I think I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think necessarily that Masvidal is going to win um, with a full camp, but I do think he has a much higher chance. I just think that Usman knows what exactly what Masvidal brought to the table and he's a man who prepares yeah I believe so that. if he was ha- if he was having trouble taking George Masvidal down I suspect he will have thought long and hard about what it's going to take uh to to put him down again uh my next pick uh this card is such a I think Anthony Smith is going to be able to beat the prospect Jimmy Crute I like Jimmy Crute he does make some mistakes, though, and Anthony Smith is pretty good at using his height and his reach, and he's got a lot of reach on Jimmy Crute, who um, I think can be uh, can be hittable uh, and can also be subbed. I think Anthony Smith's just crafty and is going to have a and is going to um, have that size advantage, probably not the de- the density muscular advantage, but that height and that reach, and be able to to touch up Crute or possibly catch a choke. Uh, I think will be alive. You know, I don't know who's favored. I assume that Anthony Smith is favored. Let's take a look at what his best fight odds say. It's actually the other way. I believe Jimmy Crude is favored by like two to one or close to it. Re- what? Yeah. That, I mean, coming off of the 
plus 170 to minus 200. I think that's kind I think that's kind of nuts coming off of Anthony Smith's um last last victory. He had a couple of you know, uh, unfortunate performances. He came out way too hard against Glover. He couldn't keep the pace and then he got overwhelmed and beat up badly. Against Alexander Rakic, he got, you know, he got he got taken down. It was a safe victory. Uh, I think we all agreed that he was fighting too soon after the Glover to Sarah fight, but he didn't get, you know, he didn't get mauled or beat up. And then he embarrassed Devin Clark. I, we don't, none of us think that Anthony Smith is a world beater. I just, I think this is uh, likely a bit, a bit too much for, for the 12 and one fighter uh, and a big step up in, in competition after a loss to Serkinov, a win against Olajajic. And then that that knockout of Modestus Bukakis, which hasn't, in my estimation, um, aged particularly well. Uh, I think Anthony Smith's a level above both of those guys. Of course, they just fought one another. Um, so I like Jimmy Crute. I just I just don't think he's going to have quite uh, quite the savvy uh, to take out Anthony Smith. Yeah. Now go um, ahead and disagree with me. I, I'm going to disagree with you here. And I know that you were right the last time Anthony Smith was up against Devin Clark. You picked him. I thought that Devin Clark had had the composure and the takedown defense that he, didn't, he did not have earlier in his career. I was wrong. Um, you were right on that one. I don't think that's the case here. Where do you think Anthony Smith will be better than Crute? I think Anthony Smith will be able... I think this is a fight... The Glover Teixeira fight was five rounds. I think if Anthony Smith strikes and pressures and uses those front kicks and throws his jab, that he's going to pick, he's going to pick Crute apart. I think Smith has good striking from range. I just do, and I think and I think he's got really good pressure, and I think he's he's a he's much more of a volume striker than Crute is. Smith isn't someone who gets knocked out a lot. Crute has big power, but if, if I think Smith is cagey enough to parry or or block or miss those big shots and, land and, and piece feet. him up and just, pe- yeah, just piece him up. And, and if he, if they end up on the ground, I think Smith is slicker on the ground. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I mean, look, you could be right. Smith is two and three though. In his last five fights, like he's got good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu against non Brazilian Jiu Jitsu specialists, right? A two he- and three, a two or three against major, like top, top competition. Yeah, uh, Glover Teixeira is obviously number one contender. Rockich is up there as well. John Jones definitely elite, but it's just the way yeah, that he lost to those guys. And you're making who, a good point, right? The same fought. argument I mean, could have been made for Jessica Penny last week, and and I think I did make it, although I did not pick her. So you could be right. And here's the thing: if you're right on this pick, and it's not an unreasonable one, you're going to get two points well, for the draft, which is going to be a huge boon for you. Okay. So I'm there with you. I, well, I think there's that, also a big difference. A big difference between. Jessica Penny, who disappeared for four years, set up an OnlyFans site, and we don't know what the hell she was—you know—she's been up to. Versus a guy that we saw mop up Devin Clark, you know, four and a half months ago. Yeah, um, he did get kind of thrown by Devin Clark, and then and then caught him in a submission. I just feel like Devin Clark's ceiling is way lower than Jimmy Crute's. We've seen it time again at this point. I agree. Point. I agree Crute, with that. Yeah, Jimmy Crute is very dangerous standing, right? Like he's shown serious power in his last couple of fights. Granted, against lower level competition, but these weren't guys that are like getting knocked out left and right. And Mikhail Olianchik, uh I'm sorry, he actually got a submission over Mikhail. He knocked out Sam Alvey. He submitted uh, Paul Craig before that. These are not like the elite of the elite, but these are good, 
crafty veterans with a lot right. of experience, right? That he's beating. And to be honest with you, I don't think I don't think there's great reason to believe that Anthony Smith is anything but a journeyman slash kind of higher level gatekeeper at two hundred five. And at two hundred five, uh, yeah. if you're a gatekeeper to the top ten, then you'd probably be a gatekeeper to the top thirty in in lower divisions. You know what I'm saying? I've never I, I've never really I think he keeps the gate. I, I'm not into him either, but I think he keeps the gate here. Think about think about what he dished out on Glover Teixeira in that first round, and think about the shots that he took from a guy known as having, you know, among the heaviest hands in the division before getting, you know, finally pounded out in round five. I think he's recovered from that at this point. I just don't think, and I, we've seen Crute also make make mistakes. I don't think he's got a terrific fight IQ. No, you're right. He stage. definitely makes mistakes. I think, no doubt about it. And I think at, I think and just like Devin Clark did. So I hear what you're saying. I'm not like I'm not an Anthony Smith fan even. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just think that g- given his skills and what he's shown and who he's been in with, that's fair. He should be he should be able to beat this guy. No, that's that's totally reasonable. And and I've I've seen a couple of other uh, odds, a couple of other MMA journalists and pickers uh, make the same choice as you. So I hear where you're coming from. The thing is that Smith sucks when he's going backwards. He is really good when he's moving forward. And then once like something doesn't go his way in a fight, it seems like he doesn't really have the will to go forward anymore. And he can make a comeback occasionally, right? But his opponent has to be exhausted for that to happen. He was not winning the fight against Gustafson, and then Gustafson got exhausted, this version of Gustafson that probably shouldn't have been fighting anymore, and got submitted. Same thing with Alzheimer. Alzheimer was doing well. It came back and submitted him after Alzheimer gassed out, right? And then... And then we have fights like Devin Clark. We have uh, Mauricio Hua, Rashad Evans, Hector Lombard. These are guys that like are way, way past their prime. So I just feel like the, his wins are not over really promising young upstarts. His wins are over guys that are either gassing out, which I don't think Crude is likely to do. I could be wrong, given his age and, and the time that he dedicates to MMA. And he's a guy that's very dangerous everywhere. Crude is also a guy that if he chooses to, he will press forward and he's going to land bombs. The kind of bombs that I think might make uh, might make Anthony Smith kind of go into himself and just kind of revert into that mode where he's just purely focused on surviving. So I am choosing Crude here. I I don't think it's a great line. I think it could be closer, although I would still consider putting Crude in a two-fodder parlay. Um, but I, I am getting Crude here. I, I do hear your reasoning, though. Uh, my next pick is going to be Rung Zhu to beat Kazula Vargas. Rung is super young, right? He's 21 years old here making his UFC debut, and he's doing it against the guy that's 35 years old. The thing is that Zhu has more experience than does Vargas, despite the age difference. Zhu is a polished striker and a serious prospect, I would say, from China. I would assume, although I haven't checked his Instagram, that he trains at the UFC PI out there in China, and they have some top-level staff uh, making those fighters into monsters there. Vargas is a brawler standing but has decent takedowns. Even though there's a risk of Vargas winning kind of a grinding decision, he's shown that he has the ability to get takedowns against these young upstarts. I'm going to pick the young prospect to outcraft him and get up uh, to his feet when he needs to. Uh, I'm with you on that. With you on that one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick the one remaining uh, title fight. Go for it. If I will, if you will, says <laughs> Dustin Rose, American Dream, instead of, I think that Wavy Vang, if you will, is gonna if get fucking will. like a monkey. <laughs> and no, uh, I think I love Rose Nama Yunus. She's not particularly active. She's such an interesting person. I'm not wild about 
the uh, her better dead than red. I understand where she's Agreed, coming man. from, but I'm like, like, nothing t- to I'm do like with first of all, China for, it, it yeah, first of all, yeah, and and uh, and I understand Lithuania suffering under yeah um, Soviet rule. Soviet regime. I totally get that, but like America is a pretty failed state at the moment, and whereas we don't commit. Uh, exactly the same kind of atrocities that China does. I don't know that we're, I don't really know that we can claim a moral high ground, but I, when it comes to the fight itself, like Rose is a, is a terrific martial artist. I think she's got a good fight IQ. I think she's really creative. I think that she's generally quite good with distance. Uh, The fact of the matter is she's not that physically strong uh, compared you know, certainly it wasn't that physically strong compared to Jessica Andrade, who now fights um, Valentina well, Shevchenko. Uh, oh wait, close up. Uh, yeah, and Weili Zhang is is very strong. I think she's a very powerful athlete. She's she's just so sound. She's if I were to compare her to another fighter, um, I actually think she's she's quite a bit like Alexander Volkanovsky, um, as far as like her. The well, just the just the well-rounded uh, mixed martial arts fighter that can uh, that can beat you anywhere. Um, she's got a, she's got a really good killer instinct, um, and she's she can fight through adversity. We saw like Joanna. Yeah, Joanna's not the strongest fighter in the world, but man, she can strike and her volume adds up, and she can do damage. Uh, and when you're tired and you're breathing heavy and Joanna hits you with three or four shot combination, like that's, you know, that's enough to wilt almost anyone. And she, she showed incredible resilience in that fight. I just, I don't, I don't see where Rose beats her. Um, I could be wrong. And again, big Rose fan. I just think that, I think it's going to take, uh, a, a special kind of fighter, um, to uh to beat Zhang. I do think that were you know, were she uh a little bit lighter, you know, Shevchenko would be a very, very difficult matchup for Zhang. Um but yeah, at at one fifteen, having trouble. Having trouble pick I mean, obviously Joanna will get a rematch, but I think Zhang is on is still on the upswing in terms of her skills and ability, whereas Joanna is definitely on the, the back end. So it's hard for me to see Joanna being better than she than she's been over the last four years. Um, so in this fight, so I, you think she's going to be able to score some takedowns, Nick, in top position? Since you referenced her strength, uh, yeah, I think that she'll. I think mm-hmm. she's going to be strong against the cage. I think she'll be able to get takedowns. I don't think Rose will be able to submit her. Uh, I think she'll do ground and pound. And I think that when she, um, like when Andrade land, lands on, on Nama Yunus, I think I get the sense that when then when Weili Zhang touches you, it hurts. I think I think she's just a tough, tough out with a very with a very taut, disciplined game. Uh, so I just don't I have trouble seeing a I have trouble seeing a path uh, for Rose. I mean, she seems like she has a really good chin. Is it possible that Rose catches her with one, with, you know, with one of those hooks or with a kick? I mean, maybe, but I just, I, I, I think it's, I think it's very unlikely. Um, yeah, I could see that. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Zhang. I was actually going to pick Rose because of the underdog value, 
And so I'm going to kind of get into my reasoning quickly. Zhang is excellent on a counter and on the front foot, like back foot and front foot. She's well-rounded, strong. Uh, the stronger person in this matchup, like you said, right? She hits harder than most at 115 pounds. You could tell by the way that Yuani and Jacek's head just swelled at the end of that fight. I mean, it, it looked terrible. Uh, the kind of hematoma that she calls on her forehead with a clean right hand. Uh, she's gone five rounds only once, and that was in that Joanna fight. And, I mean, it's one of the best fights in MMA history, and she threw over 400 strikes in her first five-rounder. By far the highest number of strikes she's ever had to throw in a fight, and she did, man. She kept coming back from rough moments in that fight again and again. They essentially kept exchanging in the pocket with multi-strike combos for 25 minutes. Momentum swung back and forth for a minute or so at a time uh, throughout the fight. Zhang hit harder even though she landed Notably less in most rounds, if you look at the stats. That and the visible damage on Joanna won her the fight, I think. Now, Mayunas is at or near the top of the strawweight division since she debuted in the UFC through tough nine years ago. She has wins over current top 15 fighters, Angela Hill, Tisha Torres, Michelle Watterson, Jessica Andrade, Joanna and Jacek twice. This is some high-level business, Nikolai. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that Zhang doesn't have that kind of resume yet, and she hasn't had the chance to get it, right? But she did finish Andrade. It's incredibly impressive. Also, no, yeah, uh, nobody, uh, no, Andrade hasn't folded for anyone strikes like that. No, no, it's true. But uh, the thing about Andrade is she's going to run into your counters. And so it was almost a tailor-made matchup, which I didn't realize at the time, to be honest. I gave Andrade a slight edge in that one. But it is a tailor-made matchup when you have a fast, hard counterfighter, which, by the way, Andrade is going to face this weekend as well. Um, Rose has height and reach on this one, if only an inch apiece. She's also going to be the more technical fighter in her striking and grappling, in my opinion. But Wei Li, yeah. again, she's okay. going to have the intangibles on her side, like you said, right? She's going to be able to throw more strikes, even though she's only gone 25 minutes once. She's more durable in all likelihood. She's mentally stronger without the need for her coach to constantly keep her in the right mental state, like uh, Trevor Whitman does for Rose in between rounds, where you come in and Pat Berry says, you need to throw more of this. You need to watch her right hand. And then Trevor Whitman goes, hey... Let's relax. You're having fun. You do so well when you're having fun. Like the fact that Rose constantly needs that shows that she can't on her own be mentally all that strong. And in the middle of that well, five she's minutes. Also, one, mm -hmm. She's also just a nine and four fighter still. That means she's great, but she's, when we talk about experience, that's like two years of Neil Magny fights. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say that considering she's ranked way above Neil Magny for many, many years. I now. know, I'm just saying, but 13 professional fights is not a lot of fights. That's true. But she does have a high-level training camp. She has Trevor Whitman uh, in her corner. and She's so only 28. Yep. Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, she's 20 years old. Again, she's been doing this since she was a young girl. So she has plenty of time to rack up another 15 fights, right? She hasn't taken that much damage over the course of her career. If you compare, and I know that MMA math isn't always applicable, but if you compare their performances against Joanna and Jaytrek, um, Rose took way less strikes of actual consequence. She was rocked almost never against Joanna. Like, she may have had, like, you know, a couple of punches landed on her, but not with serious power. Whereas Jang, man, she went tooth and nail, like neck to throat with Joanna. And the argument could, I think, be made that if Joanna didn't sustain that hematoma, if her head didn't swell to the extent that it did, I think the judges would have given her more rounds. I think there's a good chance she would have won that fight. Some of those rounds were impossible to pick the winner of, if not for the damage that was visible on Joanna. Yeah, I think she's a, I think Joanna is a much faster, much more technical kickboxer, though. And how did she get treated by Rose? Well, she I think she I think she underestimated her. Both and times. Rose had a, Rose is I think Rose is much bigger and ha, has has reach and she I mean she land she 
she cornered Joanna and took her out of her game. And landed, Rose is actually smaller. The second fight, the second yeah. fight was way more competitive. It was, but it was still Rose in the driver's seat. Rose cutting angles. Rose not sitting there and exchanging six punch combos with her, right? Because Rose has the option of cutting angles, of using her footwork to to get herself into a position to land on you without you being able to land much on her. She did that repeatedly in that fight. Now, here's the thing. Wei Li is the kind of fighter that if you are going to bomb on her, she's going to bomb right back. Like, she will not stand down from anything. You want to go for wrestling, she will take you the F down and, and dominate you from there, right? She is not afraid of any aspect of the fight. And so Joanna was willing to just brawl with her. Joanna likes to throw her eight-punch combos, and she knows that a lot of fighters will wilt in response to that. And she was hoping for that against Zhang. But Zhang is made of way tougher stuff than Joanna has been able to run over over the years. Here's the thing. Their speed should be pretty comparable, but Rose is going to have a slight reach and height advantage, which, by the way, Joanna had a little bit more of a reach and height advantage over Zhang, and it still wasn't yeah, the fight that it was. Joanna and Rose are about the same, which I didn't realize. I thought Rose looks longer, but she's not. Yeah, yeah, no. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Joanna has either an inch of height or an inch of reach on her, not that that's a major thing. Um, Zhang is probably going to use more kicks than she did in the Joanna fight since Rose will be on her bicycle the whole time using her footwork. I don't mean that you know in a negative way at all. It's crafty footwork, right? Here's the thing. Wei Li was so open for that left hook, and Joanna doesn't have the best left hook. She has a great jab cross. Not that she has a lot of power, period, but she has a great jab cross. Rose has a good left hook. Rose has a sick left hook. That's what she knocked out Joanna with, as a matter of fact, right? And Wei Li was so open for that. And when Joanna did throw it, she threw it wrong. She threw it it with her wrist bent and kind of landed with more with her fingers than her actual knuckles. Um, And and it seemed like she never had the perfect angle. She would uh, overcommit and it would go behind Zhang's head. It It would come a little bit close to Joanna. So it was just never right at the right range. But it was there and she landed it several times. Rose can land that motherfucker all day. Now here's the thing. Late in the fight... Rose is probably not going to be quite the same, right? If Zhang is willing to put the kind of numbers on her that she put on Joanna and Rose is going to be crafty for a while, eventually I can see that wearing on her. But will Zhang finish her? I don't know. It's possible, but I'm not so sure. I think that there's a good chance Rose... I don't think Rose is... Yeah, Rose is very hard to finish. She really is. Look, I think there's a good chance Rose is going to take the first round uh, probably the second round, and then she just needs win to win one of the next three rounds. And it is possible. She did come back and look pretty good in that fifth round against Joanna after, I believe, losing the fourth round, if I remember that fight correctly, their second bout. Um, I don't think Rose is going to stand in the pocket. She's going to be moving with her head, uh, uh, unlike Joanna, right? Rose is not going to march forward into her strikes like Jessica Andrade did either. Rose is going to be on her back foot. She's going to be cutting those angles, like I said. I think the fighter who strikes first will be at a disadvantage in this fight since they're both really good on the counter. Rose mostly initiates with her jab, and she's good at moving in and out with it, right? She doesn't jab and stay in the pocket. She jabs and comes right out of there, uh, ready to evade the counter that's coming. While Waylee will likely keep her head closer to the stutter line, right? And she's more likely to throw first, Waylee is. The reason to edge Rose is because of her ability to cut angles using footwork and head movement. The reason to favor Zhang is because her distance kicks can make an imprint. And I think possibly her being the stronger woman, she can potentially get takedowns, even though I think Rose is probably more technical overall on the ground. Um, Like you said, Zhang is stronger physically. She will mentally push herself through more than Rose will, I believe. This will be very close. I'm favoring Rose because I think her reach and angles will play a big factor, especially in the first half of the fight. Um, This is the title fight that I'm most excited about and the one where obviously I think has the highest chance of us seeing a new champion. I'm I'm very, very excited for this one and I expect this to be exciting regardless of what happens. It's going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be, I'm I'm super fired up for it. I do, I have a feeling that Jang's strategy in the first two rounds is going to have a lot to do with getting Rose up against the cage, but I might be wrong. 
Uh, I can, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, will she be able to keep her there? It's possible. I think she's more likely to keep her there late in the fight than early. But I, I tend to think Rose is going to have enough pop. She's fast and explosive, man. Like, Rose doesn't get enough credit for her athleticism. She's not the Weili Zhang, like, fast twitch muscle fiber kind of athleticism where she's just super strong and explosive. But she is extremely fast, and she has some serious snap to her punches. She has a lot of technique uh, that was taught to her over the years by the likes of Trevor Wetman. So, look, I, I believe in Rose. I, I hate the way that she inserted politics into this. I don't know if she needs that kind of motivation to really get up for an opponent because Weili Zhang just seems like such a nice person, like... I've never heard her say anything even medium negative. Like she just seems like a solid human being mentally and physically. Um, look, I'm going to be rooting for Zhang ever so slightly, but again, because of our competition, I favored Rose uh, given the two point advantage that I could gain there. My next pick is going to be in the Ariane Carnelosi, not Liang matchup. Nali Yang is an excellent grappler. Um, she's almost purely a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter. Six and one in her last seven uh, with five armbar finishes in her career. Uh, she fought some future prospects early in her career like Maria Agapova, Lilia Shakirova, uh, which kind of account for a couple of her losses. She's a submission specialist who won't hide her shots and is happy to pull guard almost immediately. Like she doesn't fuck around on the feet, kind of like Ben Askren in a way, except Ben Askren is actually good at takedowns. Carlosi's two losses are two a young Amanda Hibas in the current form of Angela Hill. She's been out for 19 months, right? She's just like a like a bruiser, just a little powerhouse, little tank, uh, a lot of power, a lot of strength. She can get top position and pound girls out. Liang can pull off her style against mediocre, inexperienced opponents, and I don't think that describes Carnelosi here, who is 12 and 2, and like I said, a powerhouse. I like Carnelosi to shut down Liang's submission game and take a decisive finish win here uh, at some point in the mid point of the fight. Um, yeah, I picked Carnalosi, I think, against Angie, and I was very much wrong on that. And she she gasped pretty hard, and she, you know, she's someone who looks at me looks amazing on the um, scale Brazilian circuit. Yeah, yeah, on the scale and on the and, and uh, against regional fighters. Uh, but I tend I tend to agree with you just based on the small sample size of Yang fights. Um, so for my next pick, God, you're probably gonna. You're in a house all over this. I'm going to go with the All-American Chris Weidman over Uriah Hall. All right. Tell me more. Um, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the fact that Hall is not a – he's not a – he's – there's two things. He's not a fast starter, and he's psychologically very unpredictable. <laughs> like, And we know at this point what, what – and we know one th- we know two things. Chris Weidman's knocked him out before, long time ago. And we know that this this version of Weidman um, is going to do everything he possibly can to drag Uriah Hall to the ground. Um, Uriah Hall does not fight, you know, does not fight with pressure, and he's not he's not he doesn't have he has amazing skill, amazing technique, but he's not the oppor- he's not like the sniper opportunist that a Gegard Musasi is. Yes, I know it's ironic that Hall knocked out Musasi the first time. Yeah. Um, they fought, but if if Hall wants to, if Hall's going to win this fight, particularly the first round, and I think the first round is going to set the tempo. He just needs to charge at Weidman and get him out of there early, and he can do it. It's not going to take a lot, and he's he's the better striker. If Weidman gets that first takedown and can ride him uh, for the first round, I think I think it'll open up a pattern, and Hall will get into his head, and he's going to be scared to strike. And I I think that if I. Th- 
I only, it's slight. It's slight. I think there's a slightly better chance that Chris Weidman stays conscious and, and gets top control in this fight than Uriah Hall avenges his loss and is and is able to uh, you know strike to his ability. Yeah, I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. This is a rematch from their 2010 fight when Hall was 4-0 with four knockouts and Chris was 2-0 with two finishes of his own, right? Apparently, several people warned Chris about fighting Hall, including one person who trained with both and kind of implored Chris to pull out of the fight. Like, that's how legendary Paul's reputation was in that New York, New Jersey scene. Chris knocked Hall down and finished him um, in the first Two fights later, at 4-0, he made his UFC debut and remained undefeated until after he won and defended the UFC middleweight title. So, like, Chris was clearly on a huge come-up. Hall is a top-quality fighter at 36, looking his best lately, going 4-1 in his last five, with that one loss being to Paula Costa in a fight where he actually knocked Costa down with his jab, which, next to Usman's, might be the best jab in MMA right now. He carries a power, he carries power in all his limbs and throws plenty of unorthodox kicks, but his strike output is very low, especially when he's intimidated, right? Chris has phenomenal wrestling in BJJ. His striking has developed over the years, but he lost power as he gained technique, in my opinion. Over the past several years, durability has been a big issue for Chris as he's been knocked out in five of his last seven fights. In several of those losses, he was winning the fight until his conditioning waned and clean and a clean shot landed. Obviously, if Hall can ever beat Chris, this is the time to do it. There's no other time. Um, He's he's made a habit of finishing opponents late after losing the first couple of rounds due to inactivity Hall has. Chris has made a habit of losing late after winning the first couple of rounds. So this has all the makings of happening exactly that way. I'm edging towards Widmer since here since he should be able to get takedowns and keep top position. Um, he has a skill set to finish Hall on the ground, but I don't know if he'll risk losing position by being aggressive. And I think that's probably his best route. I have a feeling that if it goes to the third round and they're both standing up on their feet, Hall can do something fancy and, and knock him the heck out. I mean, Hall did that to Anderson Silva. He did it to Bevon Lewis. He did it to Christoph Jotko after losing the the, the first, uh, what is it, eight or nine minutes of that fight. He did it to Musasi. In fact, that's basically the only way he's won over the last couple of years, if, if you don't count that uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. But yeah, just I can see that happening. Um, Hall can certainly get the late KO here, but I'll take Weidman by decision in which he looks terrible late. I mean, it, it's been depressing watching him fight. And to be honest, Ray Longo doesn't sound super confident. Uh, he barely talked about Chris and where he is right now. And he talked about the way that Chris was back in the day. Would not at all be shocked if Hall wins this fight. So I'm way less confident in this one than you are between the Rose I'm fight. Conf- and the- I'm not. I'm not confident at all. No, that, that's totally fair. I just I'm way less confident in this in this fight than I am. I think in any other fight on the card, just because there's an excellent chance Hall pulls it out. But I do agree with you on the pick uh, with some trepidation. Next, Nikolai, I'm going to pick. I think I have to take Patrick Sabatini to beat Tristan Connolly. We know Connolly because he made his UFC debut on short notice against uh, Michelle Pereira. Nick, that was his 25, last fight. Yeah, 25 pounds north of where he'll be fighting this weekend at 145 pounds. And that's the thing. He's cutting down to 145 after not being there for a long time. After a major neck surgery and 19 months off, right? So where the heck is Connolly right now? 
Sabatini is making his UFC debut here, but he's a potent wrestler in his own right. Really good grappling, like really crafty submission game. Likes to get position solid before he even goes for it. Uh, decent stand-up too. He's an athletic, strong guy. I think this is a close matchup when it comes to skill, and given all the question marks about Connolly with the weight cut, neck surgery, and layoff, Sabatini is stronger and hits harder, so I'm picking Sabatini to win a, to get a win here. Probably a, an early submission would not at all shock me. Uh, I just feel like there's even an argument to be made, by the way, that Connolly probably shouldn't have won that Pereira fight. I just think Pereira acted like such an idiot that we, as the audience and the judges, were just like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you don't even deserve this. So, yeah. Okay, for my next pick, I guess I'm going to go with Dwight Grant over Stefan uh, Sekulik. Uh, I like Sekulik, uh, but the fact is, after two victories, including one over Alan Jaban, um, Dwight Grant's law- only loss was uh, was a first round. Uh, he got knocked out by D Rod uh, in the first round, and and since then, you know Nicholas Dalby fight aside. Um, which he didn't look terrible and like D rods a pretty darn good fighter. And I think that, I think that, you know, coming out of AKA Dwight, Dwight Grant is too. And that the, the level of uh, competition that, uh, Sekulik, uh, offers, I just think that, I think that Grant's going to be a little too much for the Serbian fighter. Uh, and it's also worth noticing that he hasn't, he hasn't fought in, you know, two and a half. It's been two and a half years since we've seen him since he lost to Ramazan Emiev. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Stefan, I think he popped for performance-enhancing drugs, if I remember oh, correctly. That's sure right. That that's part. right. That's not a good uh, sign either. No, it's not a good sign. Look, I Dwight Grant is extremely powerful with his hands, but he almost like doesn't throw ever. He just like has this extremely low strike output, and given his power, it's frustrating because he just needs to land a couple clean shots on just about anyone, and they're probably going down. Like That's the kind of power this guy has. He just chooses seemingly not to use it. Here's the thing, though. It might be because he doesn't have great cardio. So he's trying to manage his energy expenditure. That's a very good chance that's the case. Sekulik got out grappled in his last fight. I think Sekulik can get takedowns possibly for a grinding win, but it's hard to rely on it, especially given the steroid thing. I'm going to go with Grant, but this is one that I have very low confidence in as well. And honestly, at this point, all of these fights are, are hard to yeah. pick, if you ask me. Next, I'm going to take... I'm going to draft from the Carl Robertson-Brendan Allen matchup. Robertson is obviously a good kickboxer. He's athletic, he's strong, he's explosive, has power, has a lot of these intangibles as well as some serious technique standing. But I don't know if he has to take down defense to keep it standing because as much as Allen is not a great takedown guy, right? He ends up like reversing position on the ground once they're there. And I don't think that Robertson's going to go for it. I, I feel like Robertson doesn't tend to do well against guys that go for takedowns. He's won all of his fights where nobody went for a takedown and he's lost, I think, most of his fights where an opponent went for a takedown. I'm going to go with Brendan Allen because if it goes to the ground, he has all the skills to finish Carl Robertson. Although I will say Brendan Allen is a small guy for this division. Robertson's a big dude that has fought at 205, so there's a chance Robertson can clobber him. But I, I think Brendan Allen at some point should be able to get top position and uh, and then finish the fight from there, probably with a rear naked choke. Yeah, you might be right, but at the same time, Carl Robertson's a guy who probably should have had a KO victory against Glover Teixeira. Um, yeah, you know, so it's I just I I worry that if he's if he if he touches Allen, it could end. This could end quickly and violently in favor of Robertson. It's this is one of those fights that's going to um, it's going to turn on the dime, I, I think, and that you know someone and someone. Either either one of them. My my ins, my gut is with Robertson, but but uh you know 
who knows? I'm not confident about it. Sean Strickland did knock down Allen uh, in his last fight, which was his only UFC loss. Yes. So uh, there's, there's Sean Strickland can hit one. hard, but Carl Robertson hits harder. I agree. I just don't think that Strickland. I think Strickland, as long as he's mentally in a good place, his takedown defense and grappling defense is solid. Unless you're just a monster there. Uh, whereas yeah. Robertson, I have questions. Like I think everybody that's really tried for takedowns against him has gotten him. And for the record, I thought that he didn't deserve to win that Wellington Terman fight, even though Terman uh, that was his UFC debut. I think it might have been on short notice. Yeah, My... I just, I just, re- but I, you have to remember Glover Teixeira having him up against the cage to take him down, and Robertson destroying his brain to the point where Glover Teixeira was out. He was out, yeah. and the ref didn't yeah. see it, and then he got, and then he woke back up. On like, rewatch, I didn't think he was out as badly as I initially no. thought. And we've seen Glover do that shit so many times. But you're right, Glover can recover when most people cannot. So you're you're not you're not making a bad point. Although I will say Allen seemed really tough to me in that last fight. Like he just was not giving yeah. in, kept trying, kept getting his ass whooped. So he showed heart and she showed shin in that chin in that one. Um so you're but picking, has power. You're picking, so you're picking Allen. I'm picking Brendan Allen, yeah. All right, just got to get that in there for my notes. Which, by who, by the way, switched to Sanford MMA recently, and you don't become great under Henry Huff overnight. It takes it takes a little while for you to understand his striking style, and it looks like he is he is still in Sanford uh, MMA for this camp. Next, I'm gonna go with listen. I love Cowboy Oliveira as much as the next guy, but even in victory over the last couple of years, he hasn't he has he usually doesn't look too great. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a terrific fight IQ. He gasses, he can gas really, really hard. The fact that Randy Brown was able to get Brian Barberina out of there, um, you know, a year and a half, almost two, you know, almost two years ago. I know that everyone will always be on him for the Nico Price uh, hammer fist from bottom uh, situation. But I think, I think he should just, I think he should be able to outpower um, and bully around Alex Oliveira if he can avoid, you know, getting hurt bad or, or submitted in the first. Uh, and that's when that Oliveira always seems to uh, to run out of gas. I think Randy Brown should be, you know, he lost his last fight to Vincente Luque, but Cowboy Oliveira is no Vincente Luque. Nope. Uh, so I, I got to go. I got to go with Randy Brown here. Yeah, I definitely hear where you're coming from. I'm, re- I'm uh, edging Brown, who... Like the main reason really is that Brown gets stronger as the fight goes on and he's likely to finish late. Although his chin is, I mean, at this point, I don't think it's suspect. I think it's like convicted, man. Like chin's not good, dude. Nico Price has heavy fists, but hammer fists from his back. Uh, I think I could be wrong, but I think Bilal Muhammad knocked him down. And then Tente Luque just sliced right through him, man. Uh, I believe that Worley Alves also knocked him down, if I'm not mistaken. So his chin is going to be a major question mark. I think it's going to be a real liability. Yeah, looking at the stats now, Luque dropped him twice. Worley Alves did not. Uh, Randy Brown got a knockdown over Barbarina to his credit. And you know what? I'm wrong. The only freaking knockdowns that this man has had against him, besides that knockout to uh, to Nico Price, is against against Vicente Luque. So maybe it's not convicted. It's, it's just but, suspect. But also, Cowboy Oliveira is not known for like dropping guys. Uh, he's, he's done it a few times, man. He's, he's got some pop, especially early on in a fight before he starts to gas out. He's got some serious pop on his hands. If you look at, um, Carlo Pedrosoli's in the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. He, he did get knocked out, but that was late in the fight after I think he was doing some damage, but he not, yeah, he not, he had hurt Medeiros. Like 
He's he knocked out Ryan LaFleur. He, he knocked out Carlos Petersoli. I think he hurt Tim Means, if I'm not mistaken. So he's got a history of of having some power, if you ask me. But he's getting older, and he's not as successful as he used to be. He is two and four in his last six fights, after all. So yeah, I, I agree with you on Brown, but really hard to trust either of these guys is the reason uh, we left this pick for this point in the competition. My next draft is going to be to take Jeffrey Molina to beat Keelang Iori. Iori is 10-1 in his last 11 fights as he avenged actually that one loss in that span in that during that time. He's a pressure boxer with power who can be hit on the counter. Molina, after a 7-2 run, won an impressive decision on Contender Series. He's a comfortable striker with really good counters and a solid jab to draw counters out, which I think is important for, for a counterfighter. He trains with uh, Gloria Mamey under James Krause, and honestly, he looks a lot like James Krause when he fights. A lot of his technique looks like he's basically mimicking the guy. I think Molina is a great counter striker, and Iori will give him plenty to counter. So I'm taking Molina, who's more defensively minded, to win an exciting decision here. Um, I think this has all the makings of a fight of the night, uh, especially given this matchup. I also wouldn't be shocked if Iori just lands a big bomb and finishes him at some point moving forward. He hits hard, too. I think we've got one fight left. Is That's this, right. Uh, we can both. Is, this, is this one an extra fight or yeah, this would be a replacement fight. Uh, we, we, we all know more fights are going to be pulled out of this event and we're, this one's going to replace uh, that first pullout, presumably. Uh, what are your feels on that? Dana Batgarel versus Kevin Navidad matchup. Yeah, I like Dana Batgarel fighting out of Jackson wink. Uh, i like the looks of, of the Mongolian fighters uh, in, in the UFC. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I haven't seen a lot of this guy, but I'm, I'm curious to see him in here. I think he could have a higher ceiling than uh, Natividad. Yeah, both are exciting strikers. While Batgrail has some crisp striking and power, so does Navidad. I'm going to favor Dana, who's had UFC success. And because Navidad is coming off a vicious knockout loss, there's a chance that Navidad goes for takedowns and wins the decision that way. But it's tough to pick him given uh, his last result. Uh, this is another kind of contender for fight of the night, along uh, along with that uh, Molina Arori fight and that Drew Kazula Vargas fight could very well be exciting because I mean, like some of these no, no names on this card or some of these like lesser known names, they're going to produce some very very exciting uh, matchups. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. I think you and I agree on everything except for that Anthony Smith Jimmy Crew matchup. Is that right, Nick? Can you think of any others that we? Uh... Oh, you know what? We got, we got to mention Wei Li Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. We disagree on that one as well, right? Any yeah. others that we disagree on? No, I only, I had two. Well, why, well, no, you we ended up agreeing on Weidman Hall. I put down disagree, but we ended up agreeing. So just Yeah, we, we ended up agreeing. Again, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I might change my pick if I see uh, that Chris Weidman is just moping around and all depressed. Like I know he trains in, I think, North Carolina now. He's not with his old team on Long Island. Um, I'm not sure what his situation is out there. I'm not sure how comfortable he is. I just know that he's at a terrible point in his career where he horribly needs a win, and it doesn't sound like his coach is, is very confident in him, which is a real worry. I'm quickly going to run through our picks, Nick. Your first one was Valentina Shevchenko. I think it was a great first pick. Second, you took Anthony Smith. I disagreed with that one. Third, you took Whaley Zhang to beat Rose Namajunas. Fourth, Chris Weidman to beat uh, Uriah Hall. Your fifth pick was Dwight Grant to beat Stefan Sekulik. And finally, your last pick was Randy Brown to beat Alex Oliveira. My first pick was... Kamara Usman, second I took Ron Rong Zhu. Uh, third pick was Ariana Corn- Cornelosi. My fourth pick was 
Patrick Sabatini, fifth, Brendan Allen, and finally sixth, Jeffrey Molina. And then we have that Dana Batgarel, Kevin Navidad fight that will kind of be up in the air. We're going to see which one of us end up with it. Uh, Nikolai, as of right now, I am, I think it was eight and a half points ahead. I think a couple of these underdog picks kind of like, um, like, uh, who'd you pick here? Uh, Anthony Smith. I think that is the kind of opportunity that you should be taking advantage of. You've done a great job with it so far. Uh, you've, you've whiffed once or twice, but I think you've had more success than not picking these, uh, big underdogs, including by the way you picked. I feel like I, ge- I feel like I generally have a good eye for dogs, but yeah, I, I think you do too. You, you also picked Yan over Israel Adesanya. You picked Higuita in the matchup that we uh, agreed upon, and I think uh, in the last in the last couple of weeks you made a good underdog pick that we. Oh, uh, uh, it was the Kevin Holland versus uh, what's his name, Nick? Uh, the Brunson. The- Brunson, yeah, you picked Brunson, and and we agreed on that one as well. But you took that underdog pick first, so good on you for doing that. I think, like again, a couple of rough events for me, and a couple of good events for you, especially with these double pointers, that can like definitely tie us up. Whereas if we went event by event, Nick, I'd probably be like four or five events over you at this point. That's hard to come back from because that you know I came back. I got very close last year. You did. You really did, Nick. Eight down, eight events. But you really did. um, You're you're a lot like Uriah Hall in that you can get that late. Not like you're dangerous late, Nick. You can lose the lead early, but you can really come back. So speaking of rough events, let's talk for a minute about Ben Askren and Jake Paul. Oh boy, Nikolai. Oh boy. What are your thoughts on this one? Talk to me. (sighs) I mean, it's all just. It's. I thought Askren handled himself really well before, during, and after. Um, but it's just, it's not, this isn't, this isn't a sport. Triller is, is really just like that horrible, exploitative celebrity boxing, uh, thing that used to be on. Except it's, it's extremely it's, successful and has major, yeah. major names. Yep. It's, it's, um, I shouldn't say major you know, names, but I at mean, least in the main event it does. But Ty- they're not going to produce Tyson's next event. Tyson hates them for whatever reason. I think. Yeah, I think it's because whole- of their affiliation, maybe because of their affiliation and and their kind of decision to promote and really focus on Jake Paul. I just think it's kind of gross. I'm glad Askren got the payday. It's just spectacle. It's pure, pure spectacle. Um, and I, yeah, I just I don't think I'll ever be paying for a for a Triller event. But who knows? You know, like at least DAZN, you know, DAZN approached things with um, just thinking about real quality fights, just like throwing yeah. YouTubers and non throwing people with no boxing experience, charging people to watch uh, athletes from other sports with no boxing experience compete as professional boxers. I think is, I think it's just kind of gross. I don't know. Like pro wrestling exists out there. You're not against pro wrestling, right? And everybody knows well, what they're signing no, up whoa, for whoa, here. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Those, th- that's, those things are completely different. Pro wrestling. Well, is this about is a real competition is- between two guys that maybe don't belong to the top level, but people want to see them fight, right? 1.5 million people but they paid. But they don't have any ability. There's a reason why there's amateurs and, and professionals. Like go. Do- I disagree about Paul. I think I think the MMA world needs to give him some credit, right? Like I spoke. Yeah, I actually he, he changed can, my pick. He can, he you can, and I, he can uh-huh. punch hard. He can certainly he can certainly punch hard until I see him. Until I see him boxing with a with a a professional boxer who is um you know who is not a can somebody I mean at that at that it's hard to to name someone at that weight class because there's not a lot of popular boxers uh, at that weight class. Let me see. Well, that's true, um, but Nick, let, let's also think of it this way, right? Just like every other boxer, probably in the history of mankind, 
or I shouldn't say every, I'm sure there's some exceptions. Every other prospect, he's getting handed favorable matchups early. That's how you build your experience. He is three or so fights into his career, Nick. Like there's that, but these aren't favorable matchups. He's being handed people yes. who are not boxers. I mean, that's well, not a favorable yes, matchup. But, it's yeah, like, but it's like saying, it's, it's, it's saying, it's I'm going to hand you, you got, you got a track race coming up. I'm going to get you a favorable matchup. This guy's in a wheelchair. That's the same No, okay. Thing. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wheelchair <laughs> is not fair. He just fought a multi-time MMA world champion. Granted, one that has uh, almost no striking whatsoever. One that, by the way, slipped uh, Jake Paul's left hook and landed an overhand right, which I thought was pretty awesome early in the fight. Um, didn't expect that uh, Ben Askren to pull something like that off ever, really. But look, we, we have to give the kid credit. He is talented. He seems to me to be working real hard. He seems to have a team that has the knowledge behind them, even though that Jaylian Love guy is a douchebag. Um, he's, ob- he's obviously on the gas. It's not obvious because he doesn't physically look like it, but I would not at all be surprised if he was. Um, but still, like a lot of these up-and-coming boxers, they don't face anybody real for like 20, 25 fights. And on their 23rd fight, if they face Canelo Alvarez, if they face somebody like Canelo Alvarez, their management is considered stupid for allowing that fight to happen. He's making like 25 million, man, per fight on these, right? He's raising the storm in the boxing world. He's raising a storm in the MMA world. He His headlines are all over the place outside but he's, of fight sports. I know, he's, just a, fight but he's sports. just a moron. And I don't, and he I is, don't think... absolutely. I don't but think he's... he is marketable. You know... He's got insane power, and we got to give him some credit for his level you, of being you, a non-fighter. Do you really? Do you believe he? I mean, do you really think he has insane power? Okay, compared to what? Like for like a guy on the street? Yeah, or for I mean, like compared a professional compared, fighter. His last two fights were against very legit athletes. Granted, it was Askren twenty pounds north after hip surgery, who looked like you know dad bod would be um, kind of a compliment to him, um, but. Like, look, he chose Ben Askren on purpose, right? He had the uh, Michael Bisping is one of the people in talks. Michael Bisping is actually a guy who was 185 pounds and actually like comparable in size, a guy that has actual skill standing. So there's a reason he didn't choose him. But Conor McGregor is in the UFC trying to be just as selective about his fights at times, right? Like Conor McGregor would choose to fight a Diego Sanchez over a legitimate opponent a lot of the time. And like, yeah, but Conor's fought. Conor has fought. Say what you want about him. He's yes, fought world class. Twenty opponents fights for into his career. Years. 20 fights into his career, right? He uh, like it was 15 or so fights into his career that he became a star. This kid's doing it like he became a star of some sort before he ever entered boxing. Look, I don't like Jake Paul. He's a douchebag. Clearly, he's a douchebag. But there's a brilliance behind it. There's a brilliance behind selecting these carefully chosen opponents. He's gonna end up making a hundred, uh, a couple hundred million potentially before getting his first loss. Like he's gonna bank the heck out on this. And here's the thing: he's providing entertainment, and people want to see it. So it's not like you know, it's not like. It's not like the argument could be made that like he's in the UFC taking up the main event. I'd be offended there too. It's not well, like the like, argument yeah, could it's be not made. A, it's not a CM Punk situation. It's right, exactly. I just, I, but I'd like to, I'd like to see him. I just would like to see him fight a boxer. Well, listen. Let's give that's him all. some time. That's the ba- yeah, that's that's fair. the barrier. The barrier is can you fight someone who's who? Can you fight someone who trains in the same sport as you? <laughs> that that is that is reasonable enough, and, and I do hear that. And I hear there are some uh, basketball players out there who have actually put a couple of years into boxing since retiring, who are around that size. And and I'm sure there's options out there. But here's the thing: he's going to want to fight the guy with the opponent with the lowest risk and the highest reward. That is exactly exactly what Kamaru Usman is doing this weekend. He's a minus four twenty favorite, a much bigger favorite I mean, than was he's also, Jake Paul. That's not exactly. I mean, he's fighting Usman. He's, he's fighting a, a good opponent, a guy who for was no competitive reason. and who's in the top five. No, 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 no. George Masvidal. Hold on, George Masvidal one was not competitive. Two, he hasn't gotten a win since then. 
the person he's who deserves that ta- that shot between it's, he's he's being given a reward for coming in on six days' notice. That's what this is. I mean, yeah, but Kamara Usman is the one who wanted this fight. It's not like the UFC was like, we need you to fight Masvidal. It's the only option. Kamara Usman called well, him he, out immediately after his last fight because he wants a relatively easy payday, right? There's no other great explanation for it. I, I you, don't know. I, I, think yeah. he wants, I think he wants the payday. I also feel like I think he was probably kind of embarrassed by his performance. I think he thinks he can do better. When has he had a much better performance? Said, I mean, he has he had said, better performances. But uh, come on, look at his career, Nick. It was an all-time great performance. His Tyron Woodley performance is fantastic. He no, said compared before, to the way everybody soon, else finished, Tyron Woodley, it wasn't soon, that great. As soon as the fight was over yeah. with Masvidal, Masvidal said, and this is on six days, and Usman said immediately, they hadn't even read the decision yet, said, let's run it back. Yeah, why so, not? He's, it's a money fight. He's going to make millions of dollars, and I totally get that. But again... Why is Kamara Usman not fighting somebody like Colby Covington, somebody like Stephen Thompson? He's fighting he George Masvidal because he already fought. He, is, he already fought Colby Covington. He broke his jaw. He doesn't. Why does yeah, he have to fight Colby Covington? Covington again? Colby Covington um, has he gotten a win has since fought then? Because against he, he, Tyron Woodley, so has everybody else. You have a win against Tyron Woodley since then. I do not have a win against Tyron Woodley. <laughs> and let's not get ahead of ourselves. And by the way, Tyron Woodley, Jake Paul. Let's fucking line it up. Let's see what happens. I don't know. See, if Jake that's Paul not have the ball that's not the one I want. I'll tell you the perfect fight for Jake yep. Paul. Yeah, and he probably won't do it. The fight that will make everyone the richest. The fight that <laughs> I would pay the the one opponent that I would pay for. Granted, somebody not under contract with a promotion that would not allow him to do that, right? I don't actually know if this gentleman's under contract or not. Talk to me. Straight from the two oh nine, Nick Diaz. Oh, he is unfortunately under fucking contract, but I'd love it if he wasn't. He seems like the per. All he wants to do is box anyway. He can take a fucking shot. Like I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I I suspect Nick Diaz would box would box him up, but I don't know. But I'm I want. I would so pay sure. to watch that. I would pay. I, I would a pay good to watch Nick. Nate, Nick Diaz at this age, after after pounds and pounds of marijuana smoke coursed through his blood blood and veins. Have you seen him lately? He looks like a million bucks. He's doing all Does triathlon he? shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. I'm not giving up. Go, to Nick, go, to, Nick, go to Nick Diaz's Instagram right now. He looks in better shape than he ever has in his life. But let me ask you, how old is Nick Diaz at this point, I wonder? Not not as old as you'd think. I bet she's like 37, maybe. I mean, that ain't, that ain't young, but I guess, yeah, 37 exactly, spot on. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot of miles on him that much was true but yeah i mean look jesus go to his instagram and take a look at him right now is he chiseled nick i like it i'm going right now nick diaz 209 oh look at him he looks great legitimately looks great i mean his face looks like a baseball mitt but he looks great man he looks in shape as hell he looks like he's real close to that 170 would not be at all surprised um yeah look it's it's good to see it looks like he's sparring I mean, is he going to do this thing? Are we going to see this motherfucker soon? Let's go, Nate, Nate, Nick Diaz. I would not mind seeing you uh, in a firefight with somebody like Paul Daly. I mean, that was still one of the greatest fights in MMA history. Anyway, Jake Paul, um, I think the MMA world has kind of this mode of hating him, but that's exactly, exactly what he wants. We are giving in to him. He is so much better at the Kobe Covington shtick than is Kobe Covington. He's so much better at that, even though he can be cringy at times too. Um, he is cashing in so much earlier than Covington or, or or McGregor. And by the way, in those three fights, he's made more money than McGregor has in any three fights. If you don't count the Floyd Mayweather fight, if I had to put some, if I had to put a bet on it, like he is yeah, fucking I mean, killing it, Nick. Yeah. For, I just, I, I fucking hate 
Zillennials and all the, all the fucking social media stars. I just hey, hey, jeez, there, there's some good ones and some bad ones. Well, let's uh, come nah, on. I fucking I hate the culture. I hate TikTok. <laughs> I want it all. I want it all to burn. I'm 45, going on 72. All right. So, okay, boomer. Okay. <laughs> don't fuck. You. God damn it. <laughs> if I really upset you, come on, Nick. I got love for you. I don't get You're not really a boomer at all, are you? You're Generation I, Z, I think, or Y. Gener, I'm, gener, I'm Generation X. Oh, there you go. Generation X. That's, that, that's a good one. I'm, I'm actually technically a millennial, but I'm definitely on the upper end of that. And I don't qualify with several attributes, if I'm going to be honest. Nikolai, Snow, another good one. Snowflake triggered. Bitch. Jeez. Okay. Jeez, I'll Nikolai. Talk. I'm done with you. I'm going to clean you up. Weidman's gonna take down Paul. I'm gonna reclaim this You know what I hope you do next, just for the record? Um, I, I, the, the fights, the four fights that I was least confident in, I did not have to pick. Luckily for me, so I'm very glad about that. I did end up getting uh, three of my top four picks. I'm glad about one. 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 I'm glad about one.